Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. And let us consider the importance of the forgiveness of sin this morning. I have reminded you that we have a problem, and that is death. Death is clawing at us every day. You can look in the mirror. You can measure your body. You can look at your brothers and sisters. You can visit a hospice. You can visit the hospital. Death is clawing at us every day. Death will claim us. And there is the second death after that. Our young people will have the joy of their eyes, the brightness of their face, the, the firmness of their flesh ripped away from them by death. I am sure of this fact. Amen. The Bible tells me so and all experience confirms it. Amen. We have a problem and we need a deliverer. I want to start with an unusual place to start for the forgiveness of sin. We are at a severe disadvantage because we have never seen real authority. I have mentioned this many times to you and I am sorry, but God has chosen us for a generation without authority. We are in Proverbs chapter 16 for verses 14 and 15. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death. But a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life. And his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. The Bible describes great kings. We have never... And there is not in any nation on earth a ruler with authority. None. Not even close to the kings of the Bible. And to the authority that was held by monarch monarchs of the past. Your life and death was simply in their eyelids. If they smiled upon you, it was like the dew. Of the latter rain, the cloud of the latter rain. If he was to smile upon you, the light of the king's countenance, he had a light and favorable face towards you. It was life. Let me remind you that Queen Esther, beloved of her husband, Ahasuerus of the Persian Empire, asked her friends and companions to fast three days and three nights before she would even approach her husband. She feared for her life because if he wasn't in a good enough mood to raise his scepter, she was dead. If she stepped one step into his court and he did not raise his scepter, a bag would be put over her head and she would be carried out and executed because someone had had the presumption to come into his presence. Now Ahasuerus is dead Dust and worm dung. He was nobody and is nobody compared to the high king of heaven. But we must remind ourselves that we need a king who can and will smile upon us because in the light of the king's countenance is life. We need a king that can pardon, that will say, forgiven. 
and have the authority and the power and the right to forgive us our sins and to pardon us. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. The wrath of a king. God is angry with the wicked every day, the Bible tells us. It is just his long suffering that is bearing with that anger until he unleashes all of it on this world, and this world will be incinerated in fervent heat. Look at 19, chapter 19 in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 12. <clears throat> the king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. When a lion roars in the plains of Africa, it can be heard up to eight miles away. Now, if you were taking a walk at night, we're not talking about the yapping of some little Doberman, German shepherd or pit bull. Listen, a lion could take 40 of them on and scatter them like twigs. The yapping of a dog carries only a little distance compared to the roar of a lion. The roar of a lion shakes the foundations of zoos. And it's heard far away, but the wrath of a king is just like that. I want you to remember... That on Pharaoh's birthday, he had two men in prison, his butler and his baker. What did he do to his baker for a birthday present? He hung him. What did he do for his butler? Gave him his job back. That's a king with authority. You say, I've got a, I've got a hard boss. No, you don't. You work for a babysitter. You work for a babysitter, folks. You have never seen authority like that. Nehemiah, when he came in before the king, Ahasuerus, and he was unhappy for the first time bearing the king's cup, and he knew that not having a smile on his face for the privilege of working for the government of Persia could easily result in his death. He cried unto the Lord silently that the Lord would save him. That's authority. That's why it says in 19 and 12, the king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. If we can envision a king that we have offended, we want to pacify him. If we can envision a king with authority, he can be a messenger of death to us, or he can be like dew upon the grass, depending on how he looks at us. One more, chapter 20 and verse 2. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 2. The fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. If you offend a king, he's going to cut your head off. Or better yet, Nebuchadnezzar would never think that cutting your head off was sufficient. Nebuchadnezzar would chop you in pieces and have tractor trailers deliver chicken dung to pile up where your house once stood. Isn't that what the Bible says? I will chop you in pieces and I will turn your house into a pile of dung. That was Nebuchadnezzar. God put him on all fours. There's a king we haven't got to yet. Amen. 
But it tells us here that the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. Anybody that would offend a Nebuchadnezzar is so ridiculously stupid because they're sinning against themselves because it's certain death. But brethren, we have sinned and offended and provoked the high king of heaven with our sins. If the wrath of a king on earth is as messengers of death, what is our condition and our situation having offended the high king of heaven? Turn to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Because we haven't seen an earthly king, we miss some of the power of a king. We have never heard about or seen a baker losing his life because it was his birthday. We've never seen it. We've never seen a king like Nebuchadnezzar who didn't need to have Congress ratify anything, nor a Supreme Court explain anything. He simply said, hey, I've built myself a new image, and I've I've brought the band in. The band's going to play, and if you don't bow down and worship my image, I'm going to throw you into my fiery furnace. We've never seen it. You say that is so bizarre. No, it isn't. That's authority of a king. And they maintain order in an empire that stretched from India to Ethiopia. Amen. They didn't have Dan Rather picking on them in the evening news. Sorry. But there's a God in heaven who's got a fiery furnace that's worse than anything Nebuchadnezzar ever dreamed of right. in his most vicious thoughts. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. Let's meet that king. In the year that another king died. All the kings of men die because they're nothing. Isaiah 6 at verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. What kind of a man sits on a throne? King. One king died. Another king is seen. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. That is a king. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why is he undone? For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What made Isaiah? Isaiah was a mouth that preached the gospel. Isaiah was a prophet that brought the word of God to Israel. But Isaiah, in the presence of this king, knew that his lips were unclean and he was undone. 
It was curtains for Isaiah in the presence of this king because of his holiness. For mine eyes have seen the king, the king, the king of kings, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of lords. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Praise the Lord. There is with the Lord forgiveness of sin. The Lord, the king, sitting on his throne, those seraphims don't do anything not directed by God to do. The, the Lord, the king, sitting on his throne, ordered that seraphim to take a coal from off that altar and put it on Isaiah's lips to cleanse away his sin so that he could stand and speak before the Lord of hosts. This is a king that we don't want to provoke. This is a king that we want to pacify. But this is a king before whom we cannot pacify. He can only pacify himself because he's just and holy and righteous. Mine eyes have seen the king. There's a baker who saw the king on his birthday and was hung up for it for the birds to eat his brains out. There's a king who is so holy and we have chosen as a race to sin against him who will cast every sinner into the lake of fire for eternity. And he won't be grieving when he does it. He'll be rejoicing in his righteousness. His absolute holiness. Let's get a picture of him. At Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Oh, do you remember the verses about the king? If he's angry, it's like the roaring of a lion. You're undone. If he smiles upon you, the light of his countenance is life. It's like a cloud of the latter rain. It is like dew upon grass. And brethren, you know I'm getting to a good bottom line. I just like taking a while getting there to help you understand the forgiveness of sins. Every single one of you are going to stand beside me before this great king. And we will hope with all our might that he might smile upon us. If he does not smile upon us, it is curtains. It is death. It is messengers of death. It is the roaring of a lion. There is no hope. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it. Who sits on a throne? A king. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. 
and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the truth of the future of the human race. No one talks about it. There isn't a mega church on earth that will preach this passage the way it should be preached. This is the truth. This is a king sitting on his throne and we'll all stand before him. Some of you have either been the recipient of a judge's sentence or you have heard a judge's sentence. When that black-robed man sitting behind his massive bar looks at a sinner and says, I sentence you to ten years. There is holy and righteous terror because he has the authority to either pardon or to condemn. But this is a judge that is God the judge of all. And the books will be opened and there will be no one to defend you. Your sins will be brought to light in the pure holiness of the examination. And unless your name is found in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I want to tell you that dying in this world is nothing compared to dying in the next world. But do you know what I know about that day? Stop! Wait! That man's been forgiven. That man's been forgiven. His name is in the book of life. Father, stop! That man is forgiven. His sins have been forgotten. There's nothing to his charge. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, brother. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, brother. The Lord Jesus Christ will be there, and that is what we are here for and why we are called Christians. We are Christians because we have a Savior named Jesus Christ of Nazareth who has conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen. That's why we're here. Right. That's why we get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we own Him as being our only hope and Savior of the great King in this day. We shall all stand here. But the Lord Jesus Christ will deliver us. There's a reason He's called the Mighty God, Wonderful, and Counselor. Because He's our Lawyer. He is our mediator. And he's going to stand before the judge of all and deliver us. Do you know his relationship to the judge? It helps. He's his only begotten son in whom the judge is well pleased. Who could... Can you think up a better drama than that? You can't. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The counselor will step forward... Judge, may I see you in your chambers for a moment. That man is in the book of life. He's forgiven. He's one of ours. He's my brother. If you slay him, then you're slaying me all over again because I laid down my life for him. He's my brother. I say the gospel's pretty good. That's what we're here for this morning. It's very good. This is all true. 
I don't care what your books at school tell you. I don't know if H2O is water or not. As sure as I am of this. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Praise the high king of heaven. The smile. Oh, brethren, there, there are some verses in the Bible that don't really come to life until we see Christ. Do you understand that? Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. When the Bible says that in the light of the king's countenance there is life, that really won't, we won't really understand that until we see the light in the countenance of Jesus Christ. When his face is shining and smiles at us, and we see in his eyes the eyes of love and acceptance and approval, it will be the most life that we have ever felt or seen in our entire existence. Then we'll know how Proverbs 16, 19, and 20 are true in the fullest sense. David, in 2 Samuel 11, didn't go to war when kings went to war. He was at home not fulfilling his duties. He saw Bathsheba, took her, committed aggravated adultery with her because he had a whole harem of wives. And God said to him in reasoning with him, I would have given you any other wife that you thought you needed out of all of Israel. If the harem you had wasn't enough, but why did you take another man's wife? Then in effort to cover his sin, he tried to get that woman's husband to come home and cover her pregnancy, which he would not do. And so he killed his friend, Uriah the Hittite. When you read the book of the books of Samuel and you find David's 37 chosen men, Uriah the Hittite was one of David's chosen men. David committed aggravated adultery and aggravated murder by murdering his own friend and one of his bodyguards and one of his chosen men. 2 Samuel 12 tells us about Nathan the prophet coming to him a number of months later and giving him a little parable. Poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he cherished as his own daughter. When a visitor came to the rich man, the rich man, instead of touching his own flock, took the little ewe lamb from the poor man and slew it for the supper for his visitor. David heard that story and David showed David showed what is inside all of us without the grace of God. A sense of a strict code of justice that is false and is nothing like the Lord's. David said in verse 5, as the Lord liveth, oh, he's willing to use the Lord's name, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. What? As the Lord liveth, this man shall die and he's going to restore that lamb fourfold because he did such a cruel and wicked thing and because he had no pity. That's how we forgive. That's our sense of justice. Nathan said, thou art the man. You had no pity. You did this terrible thing. 
You had flocks and herds, meaning a harem of women. But you took a little ewe lamb, the only wife of Uriah the Hittite, your friend. You were the one. And you have just said, you should surely die as the Lord liveth. Verse 13. David said unto Nathan, 2 Samuel 12, 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Thou shalt not die. David said, As the Lord liveth, that man shall surely die. God responds, Thou shalt not die. Do you understand what, what happened in there? Let me show you what happened in there. It's in Isaiah 55. It's in Isaiah 55. I want you to know what happened in there. One verse, I have sinned against the Lord. Same verse. The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Amen. What a verse in the Bible to show the forgiveness of sin by the God of heaven, even though David had just signed his death warrant. David, as king of Israel, had just said, a man that would kill a little lamb was worthy of capital punishment. No wonder we have Isaiah 55. Look at this, beginning at verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. (coughs) That's David. The wicked man David forsook his way and the unrighteous David forsook his thoughts and returned unto the Lord, and the Lord had mercy on him, and abundantly pardoned him. And then we have the explanation. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As I've taught you before, and as I teach you again right now, verses 8 and 9 are not describing the omniscience of God or His intelligence. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, do not use them to say that God has intelligence far higher than you do. You can prove that in other places, but don't try to prove it here, because this is not the point of the Holy Spirit. The the point of the Holy Spirit here is, God will abundantly pardon in a way and with a freeness that we don't understand. It is so higher than our thoughts, like the heaven is above the earth. He will abundantly pardon. We do not... We do not know how to take a person who has offended us over and over and over again and is given to wickedness and unrighteousness and just say, it's forgiven. But God does. He he will. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We can never know that with one another because we begrudge forgiveness. We want to get a pound of flesh. We want to see you prove it to us for a couple of years. You know, we go on and on. But the Lord abundantly pardons. And he says, you can come to me with total confidence. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Should we? Is it vain to seek the Lord or is it vain to call upon the Lord because he might not forgive us? No. 
Call upon me. Because if you'll turn from your wicked ways, I'll abundantly pardon you. The word pardon is pretty powerful. You know, a president of the United States can simply take a little piece of paper off his desk and say, prisoner so-and-so in solitary confinement and awaiting execution is pardoned. President of the United States. Pretty nice. Oh, but we're talking about something way above that. Amen. We're talking about eternal death. And the Lord Jesus Christ will stand up and say, that man is pardoned. Right. And brethren, the light of the king's countenance is going to be life in that day. It's called eternal life. Do you love your Savior? Yes. Do you want to run and get a hold of his ankles today? By faith and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. I am a sinner. Forgive me my sins. Do you know what he'll say to you? Stand up. Thy faith hath saved thee. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Go and sin no more. In the light of the king's countenance is life. I want you to understand these verses that are quoted so often. The Lord's ways and thoughts are higher than ours because he abundantly pardons so freely, fully, quickly, easily when we call upon him and turn from our wicked ways. Amen. May that give you the encouragement to do that. Right. May you think upon the high king of heaven who has done so much for us. No wonder Paul would say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Right. Do you know why God saved the chief of sinners? The one who had blasphemed and injured Christians and put them in prison and killed them? So that there would be an example given for those that would believe on Jesus Christ after him. Amen. The reason Saul of Tarsus was saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was so that you would never have any doubts that when you run to Jesus Christ, you will be received and forgiven by him. Amen. Isn't that comforting? How many, how many Christians have you killed? Ah, he was a chief of sinners in a way that we cannot be. And yet in each of our hearts we say, really measured on the scale of God's justice, I probably outdo Saul of Tarsus. But there's no fear. He was a pattern for them that believe on Jesus Christ. He'll have mercy on you. I forgive you. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Go and sin no more. Are those sweet words when you read Luke 7, John Eight, woman, where are thine accusers? I don't know, Lord. Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. That is a king. That is a king. What did the baker do? I'm going to tell you what the baker did. He burnt the toast. The baker burnt the toast and was put in prison and lost his life for it. The woman taken in adultery said, I don't know where my accusers have gone. And he said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. I like this king I'm telling you about. I love him with all my heart. And I want to lay hold of him by faith and grab his ankles by faith. I would kiss his feet. If his feet were before me, but I know how I can kiss his feet today. 
And that's to preach his gospel, sing with all my might, confess my sins, love my brethren, and be thankful to him in the house of God at this hour. His feet are the sweetest feet you've ever seen. Judge, that is my brother. Don't touch him. Angels, stand back. Listen, when the Lord Jesus Christ says, angels, stand back, they tremble. They tremble when he doesn't say, stand back. No one is going to cast you into the lake of fire if you lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith this day. What are you going to do when you walk out of here? Suck up to the world and kiss them? Or are we going to walk out of this place and hate this world and love the Lord Jesus Christ because there's forgiveness with him? Moses said, Lord, if you really love me and think that I'm a special leader of your people... Show me your glory. That's right. The Lord said to Moses, this is Exodus chapter 33, if I, no man can see my glory and live. Please, let me have a little bit of your glory. I'll show you my backsides. Exodus 34, the Lord showed him his backsides. Come, Exodus 34. Amen. You want to see the backsides of God's glory? The front side being so good you couldn't handle it? What does God look like? I'll show you what God looks like. And if your mind wants to go beyond this, you're a fool. This is what God looks like. In a special situation where he revealed himself to Moses. Verse 5 of Exodus 34. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Yes, he goes on to describe his justice without the Lord Jesus Christ. Or those who will not repent. But notice, you want to see the glory of God? The glory of God is that He forgives sinners. He forgives bakers who burn the toast. He forgives Davids who take another man's wife in aggravated adultery and then kill the woman's husband in aggravated murder. He forgives a woman taken in adultery. He forgives Mary Magdalene. He forgives Peter the denier. He forgives Ahab. He forgives Manasseh. This is a great king that I tell you about. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. Is that the first thing he wants us to know about him when we see his glory? Amen. The light. I don't like illustrations and so I don't use them because I always get in trouble. When you're a boy and you look across the room at a girl and she smiles back at you, is there life in the look? Yeah girls, when there's some guy that you're interested in and you look across the room and he looks back at you and smiles and you can see in his eyes acceptance and approval, is it a sweet feeling? So pitiful. Let me try another one. I've got such a good brother up here. No, that was so bad we don't want to hear another one. 
How about when you're in trouble with your dad or your mom? Maybe your mom's meaner than your dad. My children think that sometimes. See, I'm in trouble again. You come home, you know you've done something wrong, you know you're in trouble, you know you broke the rules of the family, you know you broke your father's rules. And there's going to be that moment where you're in the house and you're going to face him, and maybe it's supper time. I remember my children asking my wife when I'd come home from work, does he have his mad face on? <laughs> but you know, what about when you sit at the table and dad's smiling, and dad looks at you and smiles? There is when there is light in the king's countenance, there is life. And what we're talking about right now is God, when he showed his glory, he smiles upon us. He smiles. And in the light of his countenance, there is life, brethren. Mercy and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Abundantly pardoned because he's abundant in goodness. Keeping mercy for thousands, keeping it, never losing it. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin? Praise the Lord. That is our King, and that is His glory. You know, if you want to know if He's got power or not, we can turn to other places. He's got power. How long is He going to reign? Forever and ever. There's all the other aspects of His being. But when Moses asked to see the glory of God, he saw His forgiveness. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And the fear there is the, is, the, is the fear in the Bible that of all other occurrences of the word means a child's love of his dad. Of all places. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Not feared slavishly like you're a slave and going to be tossed into hell. But fear in the sense of wanting to please your father because he is so good to you. That's why the combination is there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. It's a good fear. It's a reverence. It's a delight to do his will. It's a delight to please him because there's so much abundant goodness with him. Are you with me? That is the way we fear the Lord as His children when we're walking in righteousness. There is another terror of the Lord when you're living in sin. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But when you're not living in sin, there's nothing to persuade you about. Except to tell you there's a God of glory, and His glory is forgiveness. And the light of His countenance is life. This is my God, and it is your God. No man has faced a judge like the Lord. He cannot acquit or clear. He cannot, you cannot snow him like you can snow earthly authorities. He drowned and suffocated the whole human family in the days of Noah. He annihilated seven nations of Canaan in the days of Joshua. But this God smiled upon Joshua and Israel. And he has smiled upon you. Lay hold of him by faith today. Rejoice and thank him for his goodness. Listen, brethren, there's a day coming. For that death will lay a hold of us. It will squeeze the life out of us. We will watch a chest heave trying to get the last suck, suck of oxygen. And it will be gone. There will be no light in the eyes. No strength in the body. The body will be a bag of skin with bones in it. And we will have reached corruption. But there's a king with the light of his countenance will dispatch his angels from heaven. And that sweet chariot 
will swing low into that hospital room and take us out of there. And when we arrive in the other place, the smile of that face will preserve our life and give us eternal life forever. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared. We worship the predestinating, electing God of the Bible, the reprobating God of the Bible, because there is forgiveness with him. And he has shown us that forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus and taught it to us. Brethren, are we willing to learn it and share it with others? Look at, look at uh, Matthew chapter 9 with me. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, the High King of Heaven that we sing about in that song, Be Thou My Vision, He has the power to forgive sins. He can forgive sins. He forgave the butler. Because the butler spilled his wine on the same day the baker burned his toast. Do you all know what I'm talking about? The baker burned his toast. The butler spilled his wine. He got a drop on his royal purple tunic that you couldn't see, but he sent them both to prison. He forgave one and killed the other. He had power of life and death is my whole point. He had power of life and death. And the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins or not. He said to one group of Jews, How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Ye shall die in your sins. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, he passes over. He comes into his own city. They bring him a man sick of the palsy. And look what Jesus says to him in the last part of verse 2. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Does that give you any cheer? Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. The Jews standing around said he blasphemes. How can this man say that he forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knows what blasphemous ridiculous, restrained, constrained, devilish thoughts they're thinking. And he says to them in verse 5, Whether is easier, to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk? Listen, forgive me my... Listen, you idiots. What is easier? Which one of you want to get up here and try it either way? Rise up and walk when you've had the palsy all your life. Or be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Any of you want to try it either way? I just wanted to show you that the Son of God on earth has power to forgive sins. Amen. Do you like your king? Amen. No wonder the children tossed branches into the way and praised Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The Son of David is here when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time. They had seen their king, and the light of his countenance was life. The light of his countenance was healing of the palsy. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven. You know he's going to say that to you someday? Do you know he's saying it to you today? Do you know he's written it to you in the Bible? Son, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Son, Be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. He's cheered my heart this day. I hope he's cheered your heart. Amen. That's right.
the forgiveness of sin. It's clawing at us. Sin and death are clawing at us. They'll claim us and we'll face the second death. He's delivered me and forgiven me now and taught it to me in my heart and my mind. He's going to resurrect my body and glorify it. And he's going to mock the grave and sin because he's already defeated both. 1 Corinthians 15. And he's going to deliver me from the second death because my name is in the book of life. Is that true for you? Then let's confess our sins unto him. Let's be upright in heart. Let's have no guile in our spirits. And we can know that we are the elect of God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2. I'll only take a couple more minutes. And I hope I will not take away any good thoughts that you have. I just want to remind you that you cannot cleanse yourself. We like to think that we can make ourselves aprons of fig leaves and cover our guilt before God. But we cannot. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22 For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, Jeremiah 2.22, For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. There are no efforts you can make to cover your sins. There is no Catholic church with confession, the confessional, or penance that can cover your sins. There is nothing you can do to cover your sins. You cannot cover your sins with righteousness, for all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags in His sight. You cannot cover your sins. You cannot forgive them. You cannot wash them away. Only the King can by the word of His power through Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgiveness in the Bible is described as God hiding His face and blotting out our transgressions. It's described as purging us, cleansing us, Casting all our sins behind his back. It's called blotting out our sins. It's called covering our sins. Removing our sins. Making us white as snow. Never remembering our sins anymore. And casting them into the depths of the sea. The Lord uses all these expressions to tell us they're gone. And they're gone far away. And I won't steal the text that says they're a long ways away. From another brother. Will you turn to Leviticus chapter 4 with me? And let me describe to you taking a very gentle bird and ripping its head off. And I'm not talking about the devil-possessed rock musician of the early 70s named Alice Cooper. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 27. Leviticus 4.27. Leviticus 4.5 and the chapters around it are describing the various offerings of the nation of Israel. This is the sin offering. There's the trespass offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, and other offerings. But here we have the sin offering. Leviticus 4.27. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord, concerning things which ought not to be done, and be guilty... Or if his sin, which he hath sinned, come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin, which he hath sinned. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering, and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. 
And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savour unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. And if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. And it goes on to describe it in verse, in chapter five, it tells us about the case where you can't afford to bring a, such a sin offering. It, it's, it's in verse 11. If he be not able to bring two, no, that's where he, that's where he brings the two turtle doves. Seven. Verse 7 of chapter 5, If he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he hath committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering, one for a burnt offering. Brethren, these chapters tell us this is the sin offering for sins of ignorance. Under two cases. One, you want to offer an offering to God simply to cover everything you don't know that you've done wrong. Two, if the Lord's brought something to light that you've been doing that you didn't know you were doing wrong. My point being, these are sins of ignorance. You would think that sins of ignorance would be dealt with rather lightly. But we are dealing with the holy God of heaven. Even sins of ignorance were to be covered this way. You were to bring a female lamb. Without blemish. You brought it to the opening of that tabernacle or temple. You put your head, hands on its head, its gentle little head, a lamb by itself, a female lamb by itself in the middle of all the confusion and noise of the tabernacle would have been one frightened little creature. You put your hands on its head because you were designating it to be a substitute for you because it was going to have to die because of your sins of ignorance. And you pulled a knife because there weren't guns back then. You pulled a knife and you cut its throat. And you let it bleed. And the priest would take that blood, cut off the fat of it, put it on the altar, and it would be a sweet aroma, a savor in the nostrils of God Almighty because someone had died to cover your sins of ignorance. That's the God of glory. You say, that is horrible. No, it gets worse. What if you didn't have a lamb? Then you bring a little, you bring a couple turtle doves. And you've got that turtle dove in your hand, and its heart is beating at 180 beats. You can feel it just pounding in its chest, and you take its head and rip it off. And it squirts blood everywhere. Why? Because someone, something had to die. Something precious had to die. Right. We're not talking about killing strays. We're talking about killing female lambs and turtle doves and pigeons, ripping their heads off. Ring its head off. Don't shoot it with a shotgun from 60 yards away. Ring its head off. And you could be forgiven. You say, that is a disgusting religion of the Old Testament. I agree, and so did Paul. Do you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ was pleased. God was pleased to bruise His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He took the Lamb 
that went to the slaughter like a lamb to shear before shears is dumb. Jesus Christ didn't open his mouth, and God poured out his wrath upon him through the Jews and the Romans for your sins. There's forgiveness with the Lord because blood has been shed, and that blood is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to have bloodless worship, except we, we remember his blood whenever we have the Lord's Supper in order to offer up thanks to God for sending his Son for us. I hope you love the New Testament. No wonder it's called better. No wonder the Old Testament is called beggarly, carnal, and weak. You know what pagan religions do? Instead of a turtle dove, bring me your firstborn. That's why throughout the Bible we have passing your seed through the fire to Molech. You have to give, you have to give your own children up in sacrifice. Right. What about the Catholic religion? They don't know anything about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You go in and confess your sins to some priest who's a greater sinner than you are because he knows more than you do. The average Catholic. You confess your sins to him and he gives you penance to do. Go up there and kneel on the stone floor and say ten Hail Marys and two Our Fathers. Buy 18 candles and make sure you sweep the parking lot before you go home. Penance. Because they don't know the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. Right. We're free, brethren. Amen. We're free by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What effect should it have on you? Jesus sat at dinner with Simon the Pharisee. He did not offer a kiss. He did not offer water for the feet of Jesus. But a woman that was a great sinner in that city came and knelt at the feet of Jesus and kissed them, cried upon them and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And that whole description, that whole story is given to us to teach us this, that he who's been forgiven much loves much. Amen. That should be true of every single one of us. Right. Simon the Pharisee didn't think he was a sinner, so he didn't think he needed forgiveness, so he didn't love much. But that woman knew that she was a sinner. She knew Jesus had forgiven her, so she loved much. Yeah. The point of this is we should take this forgiveness that God has given us and live for him. Amen. The love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that one died for all, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it changed Paul's life. This, another effect of forgiveness is we should be able to forgive others as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Every time you pray and ask God to forgive you, you should pray this way because Jesus taught us to pray this way. Father... Forgive me as I forgive those who sin against me. If you're not forgiving others, God is not going to hear your prayer to forgive you. Oh, brethren, let forgiveness fill our lives. Let's be forgiving of each other in every way. And let's serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a king. And he's already decreed that when we stand there before that great white throne, he will deliver us. Amen. He'll not lose one of us. Right. Because he's going to forgive us. Because he has already died for our sins. Amen. In the light of the king's countenance, there is life. His favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. His favor is as the dew on the grass. Let us hate self-righteousness. Because it is self-righteousness that denies the place of a savior in our life. Because we think that we're good in the sight of God and we despise others. Remember the publican and the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. 
the Pharisee prayed, I thank thee, God, that I am not like other men, like this publican over here, this filthy sinner. And the sinner wouldn't even look up to heaven, but smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I'll tell you something. The publican went down to his house forgiven. Yeah, I know it says justified, but do you know what justification is? It's to be forgiven. The publican went down to his house forgiven. The other man did not. Let us always be the publican. Let's not despise others. Let's despise ourselves. Let's despise ourselves and thank a king for loving us in spite of ourselves. Not for a king loving us because of ourselves. You know, there's a group of men that will stand before Jesus Christ in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not? Let's stand before Jesus Christ and tell him, Lord, we've sinned every sin we could sin. We are vile before you have mercy upon us. He'll save everyone that has a spirit like that. There is forgiveness with the Lord. It should drive us to serve him with all of our lives and all of our might. And it should cause us to be very forgiving of one another. And it should cause us to want to sing his praise. And so let's do that. If you don't even know the forgiveness that I'm talking about, then run and lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Confess your sins to him. Humble yourself at his feet. Kiss those feet of his and acknowledge your sin. He'll lift you up and exalt you in due time. And I promise you on the authority of God's word, he will forgive you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen.